You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. And it says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what is the will of the Lord. Or what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, um, if you notice, there is an emphasis here on light. Paul spent some time talking about light. Uh, in fact, um, this is something that Paul has been doing. He's contrasting things. He, he now contrasts light with darkness. In fact, he calls us that we were at one time darkness, now we are light. Um, and we're going to see that Paul makes an emphasis not only on the light uh, aspect of things, but also there's an emphasis on walking. In fact, we see that three times uh, we're told to walk. In verse 2, we are called to walk in love. In verse 8, we're, we're called to walk as children of light. And in verse 15, we are encouraged to be careful of how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So if we, you pair this together, Paul is, in a sense, making the case of what it means to walk in the light. And he utilizes the, the, uh, the, the terminology of walking as children of light. 
And again, this is something that Paul has been doing. In fact, if you look back in chapter 2, he talks about uh, we were dead, now we're alive. Uh, he also says that we were far and we, we've been brought near. Uh, in the same chapter, he says we were at one time strangers, we are now citizens with the saints. And then uh, there's always the, the previous self and the new self, or the old self and the new self. Uh, we were Gentiles, but now we're chosen people. So Paul has been developing this comparisons or contrast, and today is we were darkness, and now we are light, or we are children of light. And Paul reminds us that the reason why we must walk as children of light is because of the light of Christ. So this is a sermon for the Christian. And basically the entire letter is for, for a Christian church. But the reason why Paul calls us to walk in light is, again, on one end, because Christ has uh, shone upon us, or I, I, I don't remember if it's shined or shone. Apparently it's both. I don't know which one is it. Which one do you prefer? I think it's a British and American thing. Uh, so I'll stick to shined because it's the easiest for me. Uh, so the reason why we walk as children of light is because the light of Christ shined upon us. And in fact, this is the same pattern that he's been uh, utilizing. He first established that we were chosen. He first spent three chapters telling us that God has uh, brought us to him through the sacrifice of Christ. Chapter 2 explains the gospel to us. And chapter 3, 4, and 5 Paul encourages us to live according to that truth. But in this one, Paul does something interesting. He actually quotes Isaiah 60. And he utilizes this, this, uh, this passage to sort of anchor why we need to live in light. And if you read with me, he actually says in verse 14, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And this is a sort of an interpretation from Paul of Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1, basically all the way 1 to 3. But let me just read first the first part of Isaiah 60. And it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And it's interesting that Paul uses this reference, and the way he interprets it, he interprets it is very helpful for us. Because Paul is saying that the reason why uh, or, or we can arise and shine, because the light has come. There is a, 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 the reason why we can walk in light or the reason why we can arise is because the light has come. The glory of the Lord, the, the light comes from the glory of the Lord that has risen upon us. But in, in, this, in this text, Paul says that Christ will shine on you. And this is very interesting because Christ is basically, not basically, he is the radiance of the glory of God. That's exactly what Hebrews 1 tells us, that Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint on his nature. Why am I telling you all these things? Because we need to understand that everything that Paul is going to tell us is first anchored in Christ. Nothing that we're going to be told here to do is on our strength or out of our own light, or out of our own effort. It's all because of the light of Christ that has shined upon us that we can therefore move on and walk as children of light. 
So a, a way to say this is because the light of Christ, who is the glory of God, has shined upon you, you now must walk as children of light. Another way could be that because the light of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus has shined upon us, we are now able to walk as children of light. But what does walking as children of light mean? And if you read the text, and this, is, this was difficult for me because Paul seems to be all over the place. He's saying, do not talk about this, do not joke about that, sexual immorality, give thanks to the Lord, watch how you live. Uh, there's like all these things that are like, should we just preach and say, don't do this and don't do that, and, and basically that's the point. But verse 8 and 9 gives us a little bit of, of light uh, on, on this. And he says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are Light in the Lord, walk as children of light. In verse 9, it's interesting. Paul says, for the fruit of light is found in three things. All that is good, right, and true. Other translations utilize instead of good, right, and true, is it's found in holiness, righteousness, and truth. And this is similar to what Paul was referring to in chapter 4, talking about holiness and righteousness. In fact, they are the exact same words he used back there. And um, what I think Paul is doing is he's giving, he's giving us, again, categories on what it means for us to behave as children of light. And if you were not here on that sermon, I think it was two weeks ago, um, when Paul, or, the, or when, the, when the Bible is translated to English, the word sometimes that is used for righteousness, um, uh, it, I'm sorry, the word uh, diakosune is usually translated to English as righteousness. But the original language could be also used as justice. And the difference here is that justice is more a communal uh, word that has to do with others, and uh, righteousness is mostly an individual world, a word that has to do with your own morality. So Paul, in, in chapter 4, used holiness and righteousness. Uh, and holiness and righteousness are very similar. They're both individual. They're both about uh, individual morality. Uh, and so I suggested, and, and many, many theologians also suggest, that the, a better translation for righteousness is actually justice. It means that it's not just holiness that, that's between you and God, but it's also a way of, uh, the way you live in relation to others. And I think this is, this is something that happens here again. So one of the, the, uh, the three elements uh, that Paul, or the three categories that Paul gives us here, I would like to suggest are that children of light, or a child of light, walks in holiness, in truth, and in justice. That's what I would like to propose today. And we actually, if we take everything that Paul says and categorize it, it actually fits really well in these three categories. Because Paul is not only talking about our personal morality, even though he does talk about that, or Paul is not only talking about truth or concepts that we need to understand, even though he does talk about that, he's also talking about how to relate to others. And that is the justice element of this. So let me, uh, let me just propose that Children of light, which is a Christian, someone who has been saved, 
someone who has experienced the light of the gospel, children of light live in holiness. This is where Paul spends most of his time. And if you read uh, this section, you will immediately feel the weight of that. There is a push for holiness. There is an emphasis on how we behave individually about ourselves. Before I jump into this section, I just want to make sure we, we remember, who is Paul talking to? A church in a city named Ephesus. And Ephesus at the time uh, was a very important city, but there was an element of the city that made it peculiar, and, and it was that this was the capital, the Mecca of the worship to a specific goddess named Artemis or Diana. And this was a huge deity back then. In fact, there's some scholars that believe that Ephesus was the largest bank at that time. Like the most amount of money at any given time in that moment was Ephesus. Because uh, the temple of Artemis or Diana had so much money that it became one of the biggest temples ever built in the ancient times. And was one of the seven wonders of, of, of the world. So people used to travel there. People used to go worship uh, Diana or uh, Artemis. And th this goddess was the, the goddess of fertility and, and sometimes prosperity as well. So it is thought that the worship rituals for Diana or uh, Artemis were very erotic, uh, very sexual. There was a lot of prostitution that was part of the worship element for, towards her. Uh, people went there to get basically prosperity and fertility. And the city had this environment, this tone of sexuality in it. And, and it was common for people to talk about these issues. It was common to, for people to practice this without any uh, shame or anything. And um, everyone in the city was some, in some way or another related to the worship of uh, this goddess. So Paul comes to this church in this city, and he notices this thing, and this is something that the church is starting to face. So Paul immediately starts to tell the church, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among Saints, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which is out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And then he makes a statement, for you, you may be sure that of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. So Ephesus was known because of these two things. Money and sensuality. And that was the ethos of this city. And Paul comes to the church and says, you are going to be different. Remember in chapter 4, he says, do not live like the Gentiles. Do not do what people used to do. You are different now. And the word that Paul uses to talk about sexual immorality is, is a common word in the New Testament, and it's porneia. And we've actually mentioned this several times. And porneia, it's not referring to one specific sin. It actually encompasses all sexual sin that is not within the boundaries of what God allows. 
So some of the examples that include uh, uh, porneia and were very common back in Ephesus, and I would say they're also common today, is lust, fornication, adultery, polygamy, pornography, but in a different way. It wasn't printed back then or it wasn't in a video. People actually saw it live. Homosexuality and all kinds of other things that I would rather not name. This was common in that, in that city. And then Paul not only tells the church that they can't practice these things, he actually says, let's just avoid even mentioning them. Because in that city, it was just so common to talk about, I just went to the temple and, and, and people were like, that's too much information. Actually, they didn't say that. Because it was so common that people used to talk about it like nothing. And then Paul says, or impurity. And my take on this is because it, impurity also has to do with sexual immorality. But I feel like Paul is basically covering his bases and saying sexual immorality or porneia or anything else that you might come up with. Any morbid or interest on anything else that might be off, let's just avoid those things. And let's not even mention them. But when he says, let's not mention them, it doesn't mean, or he's not saying, don't ever talk about it. It's just the way you talk about it that Paul is trying to veer the, the, the church to move away from. In fact, he actually moves on to say that. He goes on to say, not sexual immorality, no impurity, no covetousness, which is greedy or lover of money. And then he talks about how we talk. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk or crude joking, which is out of place for the saints. So the Christian is someone who is, places a high value on morality and personal morality and also avoids greediness or, or greed, covetousness. But also to the point that he is careful on how they use or, or he or she uses their words. I believe that what Paul is basically getting at with this is, this is not something light for you to talk about or joke about. Paul is basically saying, careful, be careful in how you talk. Do not make these topics entertainment for yourselves. This is not fun. He actually says, it is shameful to talk about the things they do in secret. So for, for us today, it would be the exact same thing. We are called to watch on how we behave as Christians. It doesn't only include uh, sexuality or greediness. He also talks about uh, how we use our time, what we spend our time on. He says that we need to use our time wisely. And he also talks about not getting drunk which is not necessarily only uh, a reference to alcohol. It is basically a reference to losing your, yourself your, or the control of yourself to other substances. So anything that will cause you to lose your boundaries or to, or to just do things that are not appropriate for a Christian, avoid those. Do not get drunk with this. And Paul does spend a lot of time, and there's a, a clear emphasis on this text, on our behavior, our actions as children of light. We're also called to not participate in those things, to not be a part of that, but rather expose them. 
But I believe that we need to make sure that as Christians, we spend time talking about these issues. I think that in the church today, there is an overemphasis on the opposite side. For a long time, we, a lot of us who grew up in the church, uh, grew up in a culture of holiness or purity that we now sort of swung to the other side where that's not important or we just don't talk about that because that's legalism. But it is true. The Bible does places an emphasis and the Bible does teaches us to, to watch what we do and to live differently from the world. The Christian, the saved sinner, the child of light must behave in a different way from the world. The children of light live looking at things differently. Their holiness comes because of the light of Christ. And this is important. This is important because the reason why we are children of light, the reason why the, the light of Christ has shown of us, on us is because we can now see things that we couldn't see before. The opposite is people who don't see it, but we can see it now. We can see our sin. We can see the effects of the sin. We know that what sin does. And that is what brings us to be, to be different. That's what makes us be different because we cannot see all of these things the same way the world sees them. Now, I want to clarify something. This doesn't mean that we are called to be perfect. This does not mean perfection at all. Or again, this does not mean that we fight on our own strength. But if you're a believer, it does mean that you fight. If you're a believer, if we are believers, it does mean that we constantly know what we're doing and then we see our sin the way God sees it and act accordingly. When we were in darkness, we didn't know that sin was such a horrible thing. Now, if the light of Christ shined upon us, we understand that our sin or sin kills people. It kills us. We understand that sin is not a small issue. It's not a little thing that we just need to tweak. No, we understand that sin is something that God hates. We understand that we must take it seriously and that it will cost us to get rid of it. And that sin is not something that only affects me, it affects everyone around me. We understand that sin not only kills me or, or separates me from God, but it also separates others from God, and it also kills and makes others suffer. Sin ruins people's lives. Sin abuses. Sin is what's making all of us suffer today. And because we have the light of Christ, we can now see this. We can see that sin is something that God hates. In fact, Paul says it in verses 5 and 6. He says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or pure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And then he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. And a lot of commentaries agree on the fact that there was other religious sects or cults that thought, and, and that happens today still, that they say it's fine. 
you know? The, the grace of God is enough to cover every sin, sin. Therefore, it's fine. And we have entire Christian denominations who have veered off into things that are not okay. And Paul says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Sin is so serious that it will keep anyone from entering heaven or the kingdom of God or eternity. People who sin, the sinner that has not been forgiven or cleansed, cannot be close to God. And more than that, the wrath of God comes upon people who sin. God's anger is upon people who sin. And this is not an insensitive thing that we believe as Christians. It is the obvious, the obvious outworking of a loving God who loves his people. God hates sin. And this is not a New Testament concept. In fact, it is all throughout the Old Testament. God tells his people that they tested him and rebelled against him. And that God was provoked to anger. That he was moved to jealousy. That he was full of wrath against them. God hates our sin. Sin is serious. Sin is not a, a, a small issue. It's, just, it's not just a little mistake you made. No, it is a direct offense to God. Sin is so serious that we will, it will not only affect us here on earth, but it also affects us in eternity. But the children of light walk differently. They understand sin. And sin, when we see it as Christians, we are moved to repentance. This is exactly what Martin Luther said in his first thesis. Out of the 95 that he famously nailed, the first one is, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. We are called to be children of light. And that means that we see our sin the way it is. The gospel allows us to, to see that. People who live in darkness cannot see it. But we can see that sin has a horrible effect, not only on myself, but also on others around me. But again, this is not us fighting our sin on our own. This is through the grace and through the strength of God, through the light is the way we fight our sin. And we'll get, we'll, be, we'll get back to that later. As children of light, we should also live in truth. There are things we need to understand if we're going to really walk in holiness. And one of them, the first one that Paul actually calls us to do or to understand is that we are beloved children of God. Is that God loved us first. Paul actually opens up this section by stating that we are beloved children of God. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. It doesn't say, in order for you to be beloved children, you need to imitate God. It says, as a child of God who has been already loved, you can now imitate God. 
But we need to understand that this is who we are. Children of light are people who have been loved by God to the point that God loved us in our worst state. We need to understand ourselves as people who God loves. We need to understand ourselves as someone who, when God sees us, we are seen through the lens of Jesus Christ. That is literally what it means that Jesus is our propitiation, that Jesus, that Jesus stands before us and God. When God sees all of us, he doesn't see all the mistakes we've made or all the sins that we have. He now, because we have accepted that, he now sees the blood of Christ. We are seen by God in the perfection of Christ, in the holiness of Christ. When he sees us, he sees that all our sins are paid. And therefore, he can love us fully. But the, wonder, and, and the, the wonderful thing about this and the beautiful thing about this is that he loved us even before that. We are beloved children of light. The light allows us to not only see our sin, but it also allows us to see the love of God. God has loved us since before the foundation of the world. That's what Paul said in chapter 1. Before I created anything, I knew that I was going to love you. He knew that he was going to create this beautiful world. He was going to place us in this time. You were going to be born at this moment. And all these circumstances were going to eventually lead you to me. And understanding that God loves us should move us to action. That is the first concept that we are supposed to understand. As children of light, we are to live in truth. Understanding that we are beloved children of God. And that moves us to action. One of those action, actions is exposing the works of darkness as well. And this is important because nowadays I believe that we are facing something that is moving all of us. There's a social pressure to call things that are absolutely aberrant or abhorrent anything but sin. And as the church, we are called to expose the work of darkness. We are not only called to abstain from the works of darkness, we're also called to expose the works of darkness. And this is important. It applies first on our lives, but it also applies outwardly. And I'm not telling you that you need to be and go to the rallies and call people all this. It's No, but we are not going to accept the things that the world accept. And we're going to call things that are not based on the Bible, we're going to call them sin. Because that's what we do. We are children of light. We can now see that our, there are, there's a lot of things that people are calling not sin that are sinful. And I do want to make sure we understand this. And this is not a, 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 a political issue. It's literally a Christian issue. As Christians, we should be calling abortion murder because it is murder. We cannot be kind or give terminology to homosexuality as if it's something that's not uh, anything else other than sin. It is sin. 
And the same on the way we treat the poor and the alien, that is also sin. And this is across political lines. It is sin. Killing a baby is sin. Deviating from the plan that God has given you for sexuality is sin. Treating others as less than human is sin. We must expose the works of darkness. This does not mean that we are nasty towards people who believe different from us. This does not mean that we're just going to go and do terrible things to people who, who think other, otherwise. No. We are to expose the work of dar- darkness, but everything we do must be done in love. We're not only called to expose the, the works of darkness and understand that we are beloved, we are also called to understand that the days are evil, to utilize our time wisely, to discern the will of God This is what it means to live like children of light. That we abstain from sexual immorality, that we are not covetous, that we understand that we are beloved, that we are exposing the the works of darkness, that we do not participate in the works of darkness. But it also means that as children of light, we learn how to live with others around us. That is the justice part of things. In righteousness. In fact, we are called to imitate God, but the way we are called to imitate God is not only about our sexual morality or, or, or individual morality. No, the, word, the way we are called to imitate God is by loving others. And he actually says in verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. And what is it that we need to do? And gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, and the sacrifice to God. Being a Christian is not just about you or how you behave. It's about how you behave with others as well. The child of God is also able to see others the way he sees it. He sees them. The light allows us to see our sin for what it is. Allows us to expose the sin of others, and call it for what it is. It allows us to see ourselves as beloved, but it also allows us to see others as people worthy of love and dignity. The Christ, the, the love of Christ allows us to see our neighbor as ourselves, as a faulty, imperfect person who needs Jesus and love. And this is important because Paul is making this mix of things all fit into one. And he's covering three areas, our individual and our communal areas. As children of light, we cannot see others the way the world sees them. People around us, even the people who think different from us, are not a competition are not the enemy, are not someone that we just need to convince of their wrong. They are people who are image bearers of God that need Jesus and love. 
Others inside the church and outside of the church are people that we are called to give our lives to. Our evangelism and our community must be born out of love. When you are outside, how do we see people? When we walk in Manassas, how are we filtering people? This was important because Ephesus was a city that people came to to make money. A lot of the people who came came to worship Diana and to get whatever they wanted from Diana and to make money. And they did not see each other as people to love. They saw each other as either, how are you going to make me money or how are you just going to help me do the, achieve these things? And the reality is that that's how we see people today too. But as Christians, as children of light, we must see people the way God sees them too. The light of Christ allows us to do that as well. How are we looking at people outside of a church? When you think of, I need to tell this person about Christ, is it coming out of a goal that you have? Is it coming out of this religious necessity to prove that you are a Christian and that Christians evangelize and then you're just going to have to evangelize? Or is it coming out of a need to actually save somebody from hell because that person is worth loving? I don't do that. It's so hard. The first thing I, I think is, this is so uncomfortable. This is awkward. All right, I'm talking to this person. I guess God wants me to tell them about the gospel. Okay, here we go. We were cre- No. This is one of the hardest things to do. But as children of light, we are, Paul is telling us, we see differently. In fact, we are now able to see. And people are people's, God's creations. They need Jesus. In fact, Jesus came to die for the world. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And that's what we need to do. Our call as Christians is to see others the way God sees them as well. And not only outside of our church, but also inside of the church. In fact, that's, that's actually the emphasis of the text. Paul ends with, with, a, with, a, with a verse that always puzzled me. Because he actually said that we should address, address each other or one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts, giving thanks always and for everything to the Father. And that was always weird because I've never seen anyone sing to each other. And... Uh, I don't know how you feel about this, but I was always like, what does that mean? Like, am I really supposed to sing to you? <laughs> After digging a little, a little bit more, most scholars believe that this is a reference to the gathering of the, of the church and how our lives are supposed to be lived in community within the church. Most of the references here is like, do this with others. Sing with others, pray with others, give thanks to God with others. In fact, the, uh, the, um, what we called um, communion, uh, Catholics call it um, Eucharist. 
And the Eucharist really means giving thanks. And this could be also reference to spending time together, giving thanks to God, worshiping Jesus, doing life together in community. So we not only treat others outside of the church as worthy of love, we also see others as people that we need to even do the most basic Christian things, which is praying, which is worshiping Jesus, which is giving thanks to God. And I want to I wanna emphasize that, again, Christianity is not an individual sport. It is a community sport. If you want to think of Christianity, think of it as a football team or whatever other team that is not just one-to-one. It's not us in a ring versus the devil. It's not. It's literally all of us together planning and helping each other to go against the devil or go against the darkness and actually evangelize our city and do accomplish different things. That's what we do. And we help each other in community. We are needy. And the light of Christ allows us to see us or see ourselves as not self-sufficient, but dependent. We were created to help each other, and we were created to be helped by others. The Christian life is a life of encouraging each other, exhorting each other, loving each other, serving each other. We need each other. We need to confess our sins to each other. That's the Christian life. And that's part of walking as children of light. I have a a little bit of a testimony here. And it's the fact that my wife and I, and you know some of us, some of you know our story. My wife and I came to New City Network broken. We came out of a really bad season of our lives uh, really bad experience with church and leadership. And, and I've told this to the transition team. I, I thought I was just going to take this job. And then when, when Will left, I, I, was, I thought I was just going to like basically see the church die and bless everybody and say, God bless you, go with the Lord. And um, that's what I thought. It, but what I found when I came to New City was that you guys embraced us and you guys were patient with us. And in this very chill way, you guys have loved us like we've never felt loved before. And it, re- it helped us realize how much we truly need the church. And I've been a pastor for a long time. And as a pastor, you, you have this posture of like, no, 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 the church needs me. And the church needs me to tell them all these things. And I'm going to come here and I'm going to tell them, we're going here. And now we're going to switch this. And we're going to do this. And then everybody follow me. And, and then you forget how much you need the church. Until God comes and with love smacks you in the head and tells you, no, 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 no. You need them too. More than what you think. We need each other. We need to see each other as codependent. We are dependent on each other. And in fact, Paul almost ends this section and actually is about to start another section that's going to go even deeper into this by saying something that is very weird. He says in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. 
So sexual immorality is in the same text of submit one another in love or out of reverence for Christ. And again, this is like a mixed match of everything. But I believe that Paul is telling us it's not just about your individual morality. It's also about how you live in community. And the reason why I said that this is a weird way of Paul saying this is because of the word submit. And Paul is calling us all to submit to one another. And if we take that word submit as meaning obeying or hierarchically applying this word, this word it doesn't really work. Because I don't think you guys want to submit to one another in that sense. Like, you're going to obey the other person? Or you're going to do what the other person says? I don't think that's the context here. Even though this word submit is used in different ways throughout the Bible, it, it could be used as a military term in which you have to submit to your authority. It is also used to say submit to your authorities as in civic authorities. It is also used to say submit to your pastors or leaders in the church context. It is also used to say wives submit to your husbands. But again, Paul is basically saying submit to one another. And that is weird. Then Paul is going to move on to apply this, submit to one another, but in the context of marriage, in the context of parents and children, and I don't think that means obey each other. I hope it doesn't, because I cannot obey my kids. I will be in jail. <laughs> Yesterday we saw a few houses, and Caleb really liked one, and he started jumping. He's like, Daddy, I just want to stay here and live right here right now. And he just went and opened our fridge. And I was like, wait a minute, we're not supposed to. So he just basically was ready to take over the house. And I, don't, I can't obey that. So what does it mean to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? I think that Paul is referring to what he outlined in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 for all of us. And it's that do not do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest or his own interest, but also to the interest of others. I believe that submitting here is a posture of a relational way of dealing with each other, preferring one another. And I, we're going to talk a lot more about this uh, in, the, in the following weeks. But I believe that as children of light, we are to submit to one another, prefer each other, because we can see who the other person is. So we're called to live in holiness. We're called to live in truth. And we're called to live in justice or relationship to others. Again, I want to close with this. We are not called to do this on our strength. Nothing that I said or Paul said comes from your personal effort or our personal effort. It comes out of Christ. It is an outworking of the gospel in our lives. It is because we are unable to do it that Jesus comes and does it for us. 
It is precisely because we cannot do it on our own. We are so weak, we're so sinful that we can't love each other. We can't submit to one another. We cannot be sexually pure. We cannot be truthful that Jesus comes and does everything for us. We are unable, unwilling to do it on our own. But Jesus came and died on our place on a cross because he wanted us to understand that we can't and give us the freedom to do it through his strength. In fact, Paul tells us, instead of drinking wine, instead of losing yourself to any, any substance, give yourself up to the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit control you. Let the Spirit do it for you because that's how we live. We are not able to do it on our own. Through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, we are now able, through the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, behave like this. And I want to call us all today to live and walk like children of of light. As a church that is not only known on how we treat each other or how we live around each other, but it's also known as a church that is holy. A church that also places a high value of morality. A church who lives in truth. A church that is grounded in scripture. A church that understands that we need each other. So I want to ask you, what areas do you personally and corporately need to work in or on? Let's ask the Holy Spirit. Let's ask each other for help. And let's walk like children of light. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that our church and each one of us individually would be known as people who live differently, people who uh, honor you with their bodies, with their minds, but also honor you in the way we treat each other, one another. Help us live differently, and that our actions also impact others as much as our uh, message. I pray today that you would help us as we grow and rebuild and, and do life together, that you would help us really be a, a church that is known for the light of Christ shining upon us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.